This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly on Wings and Things. Welcome to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. We're your hosts, Barbara Heidenreich from Good Bird Inc. and Robin Shawokas from the Leather Elves. Our topic this week is what I did on my winter vacation. We'll be right back after these messages. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other. Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Pretty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's talk pets on petliferadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. So what I did on my winter vacation, and if you could read our topic, it's vacation with big quotation marks around it. Um, this was a pretty busy weekend for both of us. Yes, and I think for us, vacation people think laying on the beach and, and uh, drinking margaritas and things like that. But our vacations are typically working vacations. How do I get one of those? But for me, it was a party in paradise. Oh. At Parrot Festival in Houston, which being from Boston, yeah, Houston's warmer than Boston this time of year. So it had that going for it. Um, it Parrot Festival is an amazing event put on yearly by um, NPRPF. Which stands for? National Parrot Preservation. <laughs> Wait, nas- National Parrot Preservation, Rescue and Parrot Res... <laughs> oh, they're not going to like us at NPRPF. And National P Parrot Rescue, Rescue and Preservation, Preservation Foundation. Foundation. 
We're sorry, NPRPF. We'll get those phone calls and be kind. You know, it's 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 been a long weekend. That's the problem. Well, here, just go to parrotfestival.org and you will see the whole NPRPF written out. But but I'm going to tell you some of the highlights because it was really really great. They had a wonderful uh, group of speakers that included Dr. Brian Spear, Mark Hagen. Uh, Rick Jordan, Sid Price, Steve Martin, among, you know, there were even more and they had little classes on sprouting. It was, it was really exciting. Yeah. And I think they had um, some speakers from Italy and Australia. They did. Dr. Pat McWhorter was there from Australia. Um, And, and there were some, there was a big variety of topics too. It wasn't just one focus. Yeah. And every year I know that crew there really works hard to mix it up. So it isn't always the same speakers. So they can really, um, keep everybody interested and wanting Mm -hmm. to come back so that every year it's different. It's not just a repeat of the same thing, even though hopefully you get to see some old friends. Right. Which which I did. I saw some, a ton of old friends and I, I made some new ones too. So it's really exciting going back year after year. But going in as a vendor, the vendor hall and hallway, if you will, is incredible. It's just wonderful merchandise left and right. And, you know, I got a chance to see uh, Deb and Mary from Avian Enrichment, which is a fairly new website that deals with all kinds of avian enrichment. And they had a table there and they were, you know, promoting their new website. So that was kind of fun. Um, and Gail Shepard was there from Zupreme. You know Gail. I do know Gail and Zupreme. It's one of my favorite words to say because it's just so fun to say. Zupreme. <laughs> I think an Amazon might have created that name. I don't know. <laughs> um, but you, Gail was there and we talked a bit about um, what she was up to. And so it was nice to see her. And there was another Gail there. It was Gail from Aussie Bird Toys. Uh-huh. Um, Aussie Bird Toys was doing the Feather Mart, which is um, a large array of, of toys that... Um, Everything from shreddables to foraging toys to destructible toys. She had it all. She really did. Um, so that was kind of nice to... I actually met Gail for the first time. Gail and I have talked on the phone before, but we've never met in person. Mm-hmm. And um, Lainey Rickman was there from the Bird Endowment. It's I've met Lainey numerous times before, but it never gets old. Yeah. Um, Lainey is doing wonderful things um, for blue-throated macaw conservation um, and doing work with parent rearing um, blue throats and she's you know doing supporting in c2 conservation and laney's really interesting and you can check out her stuff at the bird endowment dot com or i think it's dot org is it yeah well try them both okay. you'll get there you and will. and i love the story of the bird endowment in fact we'll have to get a podcast with laney sometime oh, for sure because um the way that Lainey got involved with it, and we talked about this in one of our podcasts about a great way to learn about parrots is to get involved with your local zoo and maybe be a volunteer. And that's how Lainey started, mm-hmm. from what I understand, and really just, you know, developed her passion for parrot conservation and made an active dis- an active choice to change her focus in her life from doing a career where, you know, that was specifically, I think she was in advertising and mm-hmm. she completely switched to, sorry for the background noise, have to comment on that. We've got a little peanut gallery here in the background. Um, but she switched her, her, uh, focus to parrot conservation. Mm-hmm. It's a big, big life change. And Lainey is absolutely someone who embodies that passion for the conservation end of things. She, absolutely. She really, She's really dedicated her life to it. In everything that she does. And then I also got to see the gang from Featherheads in Virginia. Um, Rob and Susan were there and Susan's mom 
and we got to talk about you know what's going on as fellow you know East Coasters. We bonded. It was it was good, and so they they were um, selling their wares and. Um, Mike Gilligan from Gilligan's Isle Imports, which are he, Mike feeds my jewelry addiction yearly. Uh, Mike has amazing imported jewelry from Brazil, and you can you know check out his website too. And um, Mike really picks unusual pieces that that uh, you don't see coming and going. Yeah, that's so very nice. Yeah, and, and nice people too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Melanie from Hagen was there. Melanie um, does a lot of work. She's here in the States, but she works with Hagen um, up in Canada. And we, you know, talked a lot again about nutrition and and uh, some of the exciting things that Hagen's working on. Um, so that's kind of exciting. So who was, there was somebody you mentioned that's, uh, were they a new vendor there recently? There this is year? a new vendor that I met. They're called Reptigreens. And they are working on organic um, greens and they do a line for reptiles, obviously, from reptigreens, but they also do uh, bird um, greens and bird biscotti, Ooh. which um, I'll tell you, you know, <laughs> I was a little hungry at a couple points during the day, and the bird biscotti is really yummy. So, you know, you buy it for the bird, but if some of it falls into your mouth, that's okay. <laughs> um, but reptigreens, I think it's a really great concept, and... Um, it's somebody to look into. The name of the company is it's spelled R E P T I G R E E N S. Um, you might want to do a Google search um, for them. Well, actually, I think all the contact info for all the vendors is at parrotfestival.org. Yes, it is. If you click on vendors, you can get all that information. Cool. Um, unfortunately, the folks from Window are missing. Oh, I know. We um, love those folks. They are so sweet, a wonderful couple, and they were unable to attend this year, but I know they did extend. Um, you know, a discount to attendees, oh, even great. though they weren't able to be there. Maybe next year they'll be yes. back. And then I actually missed this year, but we'll talk about that later. Right. You know, I was I was flying solo down there. Barb was there the first year that I was there, um, and actually introduced me to the great people from NPRPF. So, and I got a chance to see Chris Biro and Susan Hilliard and their flock of Sun Conyers. They actually flew their Conyers in the uh, meeting hall. Uh, they did a, a they've taught this flock of Conyers a retrieve. They go out, um, they take your money. Um, <laughs> they 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 ask for dollar bills, but you know I'm kind of thinking those Conyers like you know twenties better, but I don't know. Um, and all the money went to support NPRPF. Oh, excellent! Um, and for people that don't don't know about that organization, they actually uh, try to help rehome parrots that mm -hmm. are are in need of placement. So. Um, the the highlight, you know, a couple of the highlights as far as the social end of things were concerned. Um, they do have men dancing in coconut bras and hula skirts every year. <laughs> you know, ladies, get yourselves down here. It's really worth it. Um, and, I, and I understand that's to raise money. It is to raise money, again, for NPRPF. And, um, but some of the dancing is quite good. Um, and, and and do people place dollars in certain spots? They, they have um, tiki cups that they go in, but you know, I think for a larger donation, I I don't know what might happen. But um, and we should comment that these are usually attendees who yes, do the dancing. Not, they're not like paid. Dancers. No, no, they're not professional. Well, they might be professionals. <laughs> I don't know. But um, this year, I can tell you that Mark Hagen danced and Ooh. Brian Spear danced and um, Rick Jordan. 
and well, that doesn't surprise me about Rick. <laughs> yeah, um, he was quite good, and um, but the winner um, who raised the most money this year was Brian Keith of um, R&B Aviary, oh. and you can check out um, Brian's site at www.rbaviary.com. I don't think there are any shots of Brian dancing. Uh, maybe he'll want to add those, but. He you, might. Can, you can still check out his site. So. Well, and we should mention that, that R&B is for Rick and Brian. Yes, That's it is. They're both their aviary there. Yes, it is. And then I'd also like to mention Patricia Sund, who does Parrot Nation blog, won an award, a very special, it was actually a major award, I think, for the chicken dance. Like the chicken dance, the, the one we all know? Well, actually, it was more of a dinosaur dance that they kind of did, but... It was set to the chicken dance. It was oh. it was good. There there were several participants, but Patricia was the most creative. All right. Um, so it was good. Well, I remember in years past they they had a thing um, where they had a big giant cage where um, you know that there was that somebody was selling, mm-hmm. but they would occasionally um, quote arrest somebody ah. and throw them in jail, and in order to be released, mm-hmm. they would be told they had to raise so much money, and so basically anytime somebody passed by the cage, they'd have to beg. Them for some money so that they could be released from the cage. Mm, that poor, sounds like fun. Poor Dr. Ian Tazard from uh, Texas A&M University got thrown in there once. <laughs> there you go. But he's a good sport about it. So. The, I mean, there were all these great things that they had half a room of raffles. They had. Yeah, they do um, a great raffle oh, at that event. Amazing events. They do a live auction. Um, I know that Patricia's son did. Um, scarves that have um, feathers. Malted feathers. Mol- yes, of course, <laughs> malted feathers. She doesn't have naked grays at home, I swear. Um, when she talks about Parker, he does still have feathers. Um, this year she did one with one that was Amazon feathers and another that was uh, gray, gala, and blue and gold feathers. Wow. Um, they were both magnificent. One was in the raf- regular raffles and one was on the live auction. Wow. Um, so that was kind of exciting. And they have a treasure chest where... Um, you get a paper and you get it stamped by all the vendors and then you're, you can enter it to win a treasure chest, which includes items from all the vendors. Oh, that's a good um, price. So that's huge. And then Bird Talk sponsors a shopping spree every year, Jeez. um, a $400 shopping spree and you can pick from all the vendors, whatever you'd like. Um, and then you get your picture in Bird Talk magazine. Wow. Um, so there are an awful lot of perks to Parrot Festival. In addition to all the great speakers, the vendors, and it's such a wonderful community. I mean, you and I have spoken at so many different clubs and different places, and, and they're all really great. And I just have to say, though, that NPRPF does a really good job at putting this event on and acting as a team. You know there's that stress underneath. Yeah, it's hard um, to pull off an event like but that. But they put on a pretty face, and, and they, they put on a wonderful event. Yeah, so. well, festival is truly the appropriate word. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely is. A party. is. You walk in, it's funny, staying in the hotel... Um, you walk in and you see all these parrot decorations and palm trees. And I had somebody ask me, oh, is this a parrot head conference? <laughs> as um, in Jimmy Buffett? As in Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> um, but that's, that's how exciting and festive the, the whole um, thing is. So it's really worth considering making the trip down to Houston. Plus, as I said, for those of us that are up north, it's warm this time of year. Okay, it's not warm right now, but generally it's warm this time of year. Yeah, I think I'm like the uh, our once and once every year ice storm is about to. Yeah, so I'm just gonna stay in Texas. Um, I'm never going home because it's it's just just as cold here. So <laughs> um, I think we're gonna take a break, 
And, and maybe go get a cup of hot tea or something. Something, because it's cold. <laughs> but um, we'll be right back after these messages. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other. Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories. Party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations and treat bowls, cups and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things with your hosts, Barbara Heidenreich and Robin Chiwokas on Pet Life Radio. Well, unfortunately, I was not able to attend Parrot Festival this year, even though I heard it was great fun. It was. So, but um, but I'll have to make sure I, I block the, those dates off on my calendar for next year. But I got to do something pretty fun, even though I didn't get to go to Parrot Festival. Was it warm? It was warm. Yeah, it was, it was fairly warm. Okay. <laughs> I got to admit, it was fairly warm. I flew west. Um... To uh, work uh, on a zoo contract on the West Coast, and the first day that I got there, it was very fabulous and sunny, and I got there around noon, so after lunch I got to walk around the zoo, and what was great is the zoo is right on the coast, so I got to look out on the ocean with giraffes to one side of me, and (laughs) big luscious green lawn on the other side. We're also in a drought in Texas, so to see green grass is pretty nice, and you can hear the surf, and... It was it was really beautiful. Um, zoo consulting for me is is a, another important part of the work that I do, and I know it is for you too, Robin. Mm-hmm. And it's it's always a big thrill. Um, I love doing the parrot work um, as well, but the zoo work also kind of keeps me on my toes because there's always something new to learn. And there's a little bit there's it's a different kind of challenge I think when you're doing the zoo consulting piece because it's it's different. There are different. There's a different set of rules in a lot of cases. I know, mm-hmm. as far as enrichment's concerned, sometimes it has to be much more naturalistic than what you're doing with your pet parrot. Um, so yeah, there it, there are differences, but but they're both equally exciting. I think. Yeah, and I had a particularly good time at this zoo because we had a really receptive audience, and also this this um, crowd also had some exposure already to positive reinforcement training. So even though the first day we spent um, a few hours going over the basics and mm-hmm. getting all the terminology down, um, we really got to kind of jump right in and move ahead quickly because these folks already had a really good foundation, which was awesome. Um, so after after our lecture, our first day, we got to run around and spend some time working with different animals in the zoo. And one of the first ones we got to see, which was really fun, was a dwarf caiman. Oh, that is fun. Which is a crocodilian, for those of you who are not familiar with, with caimans. And um, most people think reptiles are just not 
trainable. Oh, they are, and they're enrichable, and they're really interesting to work with. Yeah, and um, what's is it reptiletraining.org and reptileenrichment.org? Mm-hmm. Is that the sites? There's a couple sites out there um, sp- uh, that are geared specifically to reptile training, and someone, both Robin and I know, Flavio Morrissey, mm-hmm. who, who really... Um, kind of spearheaded the attention to reptile training out there. He's really brought it to the forefront as far as what you can do. And there are so many people that are doing really exciting things with reptiles and shows and things like that mm-hmm. that people aren't aware of. You know? Yeah, I don't I don't know if they're still doing it, but at Cincinnati Zoo they actually used to have an alligator in their show right. that, that did behavior. Not A lot of times you'll see a show where somebody's holding a young alligator and its mouth is taped shut, but... Um, this alligator would actually do an A to B across the yeah. stage. He was clicker trained. They had a clicker as part of part of that A to B. And I think his target was a broom mm-hmm. that they would um, sort of move back and forth, like like the character in the show was sweeping, and right. the, the gator would target to the the broom, which mm-hmm. was pretty cool. And they also had him trained so that he would go into a crate mm-hmm. on one side, of, and then they could swing him around to get him to the other side to yeah. come back out. So yeah, definitely. And with this little dwarf came in, they had target trained her. And um, it was really interesting because there's a few things you do think about when you work with different species is about their natural behavior, like what, how, how their senses are and things like that. You know, how well, like with some reptiles, we may not be responding to auditory cues, but more towards visual cues mm-hmm. or, or bridges. And so with this little caiman, she really seemed to respond to um, movement of the, of the uh, target. So we, we and the vibration we actually would put the target which was a stick with like a a big board on it and place it in the water and just move it a little bit and that really got her attention and then she would come over and touch it with her the end of her nose there and um, get reinforced with a little piece of mouse because mm-hmm. she is a meat eater, you know. And of course, that was placed in there with um, some very long tongues. <laughs> yes. There's no up close, close and personal with, yeah. with crocodilians, really. Yeah. But she did a really good job targeting, and this was work that they had already trained before I ever showed up. And what we did is we brainstormed, you know, where to go next with all that. And we came up with some really great ideas on how to train her to go into a kennel and then um, being able to move that kennel so she could, it could be put on a scale. And we actually talked about putting her in education programs because they said she's a really um, agreeable animal, real real um, kind of, for lack of a better word, easygoing and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. And for anybody that's listening to that does any kind of education programs with kids or things like that, you know, the more the kids get to interact or, and the more they see, um, it, it just, it makes that impression, you know, and with parrots too, with parrots, bringing the parrots to that, that setting and allowing the kids to see it and Wow, they can do that. It, it, it leaves an imprint that just a, a picture on a screen or, you know, a verbal description really doesn't. Well, I can say even for me, just watching that little caiman work in that session, mm-hmm. you know, even for me in that moment, you feel a little bit more for that animal because you just, you see them learning, you see them thinking and doing behavior, and it's much more than just an animal sitting there in an exhibit. Mm-hmm. And, and um I agree totally that giving people the opportunity to kind of experience these animals and what they're capable of is is a great way to get them into their hearts, so to speak. Yeah. So um, we also did some sessions with a red-tailed hawk, which was always a lot of fun for me, um, and a turkey vulture. That this this one, some people will can probably relate to. Um, a lot of times, people 
um, are dealing with aggressive behavior with their parrots at home. And this turkey vulture, um, when people would enter her enclosure, she would sometimes approach them and mess with shoelaces and pant legs and things like that, which is, um, believe it or not, kind of a common vultury type mm-hmm. thing to do. They're, they're used to pulling at things over a carcass, and certainly she's not the first vulture that I've seen do that kind of behavior. And so we actually worked on teaching her to station on a stump, and um, and she did absolutely fantastic. And, and they're so smart. She learned really quick that if a keeper is in the enclosure... If you go to that stump, you'll get reinforced. And mm-hmm. um, we got to have a few sessions with her, so we got to see the progress happen really quick. And she's another one that um, they have some vision for flying her for education programs and Great. stuff like that. And she's a good candidate for it, so I'm sure they'll do well. well let's see. We also met a, uh, a raven. Oh, and this is another one that parrot people can relate to uh-huh. because this raven had a very close relationship with one keeper in particular and was um, had a hard time working with other keepers. Right. It didn't, didn't have a real, um, uh, you know, just there wasn't much motivation for the raven to work with, with any of the other keepers. So having, um, having the, the raven learn that other people are uh, a source for valued items like favorite treats or um, enrichment items, things like that, uh, was a strategy we could work with and also teaching the raven to do some simple behaviors with those people, which is very similar to the suggestions I give to people working with parrots who have that same problem, you know, that whole, like, my parrot loves me too much and hates everybody else in the household. So so we were kind of experienced a similar situation there. And then later that day, I got to meet probably the cutest penguin I've ever met in my life. Her name the was... cutest penguin. Yes, her name was Pigloo. Oh, even the name is cute. <laughs> and when she's so it's radio and there's no visual, but hey. I mean, I've, I've certainly had the opportunity to work with penguins before, but, but uh, um, she was definitely a, a pretty sweet one. And she she uh, apparently is a, quite an ambassador for her species there at the zoo, and they do ed- education encounters with her. And um, she really seems to like the company of people, so she was a lot of fun to, to get to pet. And they're very soft. <laughs> when they're dry. <laughs> Don't try this at home. Yeah. Petting the penguin, not a good idea. Definitely a perk. So uh, the next the next morning, um, that actually took us through a whole day of training and uh, and lecturing and whatnot. And, uh, and then the next day, we got to go over to the gorilla area and giraffes and brainstorm some suggestions there. And just like people working with their parrots, a lot of behavior that we like or need to get is um, centered around targeting behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of targeting work that we discussed and how it could help uh, accomplish the goals that they had at the zoo there with those two species of animals. Um, And uh, I mean, obviously, you know, with with these kind of training sessions, you're going to have different um, techniques and things like that only because of the size, but the basic the basic information is the same. It is. It's still the same. The principles are the same. And, you know, with enrichment, when I teach enrichment at zoos, one of the things we work on is coming up with different um, ideas for each of the senses, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of what kind of animal we're working with. Yep, I agree. I agree. Well, um, we met at gorillas and and, uh, giraffes earlier in the day because um, just because the schedule of the animals and trying to squeeze in as much as we could in a short amount of time. But then we went back for some more lecture, and we talked about reinforcers and motivation and, of course, body language. Mm-hmm. Now, when I do body language with zoos, needless to say, it's not just looking at parrot body language. We have a, um, a lot of different species that we, we look at their body language and see if we can come up with uh, 
some some idea of what could possibly go, be going on in those little uh, animal brains of theirs, and sometimes big animal brains. Um, after that, we had the opportunity to work with some elephants, and a lot of zoos these days are doing what's called protected contact, which means that the keepers are never in the same area that the elephant is. They're you know they're not able to. Um, to get close enough for that that kind of interaction, there is doesn't mean that they're never able to touch an elephant, but the way it's designed is so that it's safe for both the keeper and the elephant. And we did a little session there, and um, and uh, had a really nice session. It was wonderful. And then we went on to some parrots. And guess what? The parrot problems in zoos are similar to what a lot of people are facing at home, whether it's a bird that might be afraid of people or a bird that might be showing aggressive behavior and maybe they want to do some crate training instead of having him step up on the hand. I think that's so important that you mention that because I work with one facility that does boarding um, of exotics and I was told that the vet techs there were afraid of the parrots. And I said, what? I said, wait a minute. I said, what? I said, have you been trained how to handle them? Well, no. Do you give them new enrichment? No, they're not ours, which I can understand. But at the same time, they are the same issues. And, and these are quote-unquote professionals, and they really are. These, this is a great staff at this facility, but they just, they're having the same issues that, that all of us have. Yeah. you know, with our parents. Yeah, so. well, and it's, and I and I so appreciate when people are um, open to, you know, getting help mm-hmm. when they're in those situations, because even, you know, even for me, as many, as fortunate as I have been to work with as many animal species as I have, I, I'm not an expert on everything, you know, I mean, or, or maybe that individual animal has its own history that I could never know unless I worked with that animal every single day. Right. So, so it, I really am a big believer in sharing. And when I go work with a zoo, it's, it's about um, us all sharing information to help get to whatever goal that is that is there for the zoo. So whether it's trying to um, solve a behavior problem or accomplish something that's going to help with that animal's care in the future, we can all work together as a team to get there. So that's really important. Let's see, later on in the day, we got to work with some of my favorite animals, which are the pigs, yay! This facility had acquired some um, pigs quite young and got them accustomed to um, a lot of different things early. And this is very similar to what people do with dog training. So I I certainly did this with my puppy when I first got him. Um, I did things like desensitize him to touch and all these weird different spots like on his ears and at the bottom of his feet and his tail and all these weird places that at, at that if he ever had a veterinary procedure, I would like it to be no problem for him to be touched in those areas. And so the pigs were already really comfortable with that. And so now it was on to things like, can we fine-tune some of their things? Can we get them to do things on cue, like um, like targeting, which they picked up really quick, and maybe even learning to walk alongside a keeper, just like a dog healing, if you were to take him for a walk, and maybe even getting to sit or presenting a body part, things like that. And so um, we actually trained them very much like you would train a dog and had a lot of success with these pigs. And, of course, those are some of my favorite animals so I get to touch the pigs a lot yay so next day this is a was a three-day um consultation and so my next day was again a little lecturing on problem solving and aggressive behavior and how to get quick response to the cue and then we got to go play with the gorillas finally yay Yay! so that was fun so we really just um that day I got to watch a session and um and uh you know provide some feedback for the keeper on some things to maybe help fine-tune things we also worked with some ground hornbills that um, 
one who was, so this is, an, again, similar to people with their parrots at home, um, a pair of birds, one who is very nervous around people and one who's really super comfortable around people. And how do you work with both of them at the same time? And so we um, did some brainstorming and, and worked out some ways to, to get them going. Really, ground hornbills are super smart birds and learn super fast. And um, so I think that was probably like somebody working with a little lesser self-crested cockatoo that's like, or, or kaik. That's, go, yeah. that's moving fast, 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 fast. How do you? And so now you've got two of them, and, and, you're, and they're both moving fast. And how do I you have manage a hard time with one? You know, it's trying to keep up with that. Can I get? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, he just did that. Oh, okay. It's hard. It's yeah. hard, but but uh, but a good challenge. And um and I think they'll do just fine with those two. We also had a lot of fun working with African crested porcupines, which were again a, an, another really responsive animal that moved fast, 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 and. Um, we're like a rocket, and the trainer or, who worked with them, she had done quite a bit with them already, so she was very comfortable getting them moving around fast. And believe it or not, not protected contact. She goes in the exhibit with there, and they do put their quills up, but um, similar to you know how we talk about body language with parrots, like mm-hmm. a, ta- a like say an Amazon pinning its eyes or fanning out its tail feathers, and that people that can also be paired with aggressive behavior, or high level of arousal. Um, same with the porcupines, like mm-hmm. when you're so excited. All his quills would go up, and then she, the keeper, she's great at this. She would actually um, give them a cue for calm, mm-hmm. and they would put their quills down, and then she would reinforce That's them. So great. she taught them that you know, too high level of excitement, it's not going to get reinforced. But if you chill out, <laughs> now we're moving on. And they they were really a fun way to end our uh, they're a really training exciting sessions. animal to train too. They they do respond really well. Yeah, super fast. So it was fun, but um, you know, yeah, it, it's a very busy time whenever I'm at a zoo because they're trying to utilize their time as best they can while you're there. And so for me, you know, it was getting up early in the morning and working on presentations to make sure they met the needs of the zoo and. Maybe um you know working on a recap of what we did that day, doing my email and all that kind of stuff. So all those people so are she's late with emails. That's, um, why. that's why. <laughs> so you get up early, you do all that, you go work all day at the zoo, and then usually what we end up doing is a little socializing in the evening, and people you know hopefully are um, getting a chance to ask more questions and things like that. So it's it's really long days, but. Gosh, it's so rewarding. Mm-hmm. So oh. rewarding. And I, I have to say, having consulted at zoos, that the zoo community, people who work in zoos, have been, they're wonderfully receptive. You know, they want to learn these things. They're in, they're not in the job because they're making a ton of money. That's they're in true. the job because they really care about animal welfare and they want to, you know, do the best that they can for these animals. And when we come in to do the consultations, they're really excited about learning these things. Yeah. So it's, it's really great. Yeah, I, I agree with you, too. I think sometimes people don't realize how much zookeepers um, love their animals and how physically demanding their work oh, yeah. is and and really how tr- you know often it is for very little pay. And so they're a really dedicated group of people and um, and truly love their animals. I think that's the most important thing that, that people don't, don't always know about zookeepers. Um, but yeah, I loved it, and I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to go out there. I'm sorry I missed Parrot Festival, so sorry to all those people that I missed. But um, but I did have a, a, a nice a nice exchange, I guess. Something else to yes. do that was made and up I for my you in on all those things. You did so. So I'll just have to check my calendar la- uh, for next year. But if you want to see a little bit more about the zoo experience, you can always check it out at my blog. If you go to goodbirdink.com and click on blog, you will see some photos from there. 
All right, so now you know what we did on our winter vacation. Now you need to know what we're going to do on our February vacation. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, there we go. On February 21st, Barbara and I will both be at uh, Parrot Training and Enrichment Workshop in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is hosted by the Greater Cincinnati Bird Club. You can go to gcbclub.org for more information. On February 22nd, I will be in in Cleveland um, for an enrichment workshop that's sponsored by Cleveland Peace. You can go to their website and um, get more information on that. And I believe you have to pre-register for that one. February 24th through the 28th, Barbara and I will both be at the International Association of Avian Trainers and Educators Annual Conference in Cincinnati. And you can visit www.iaate.org for more information. And then on March 14th, I'm going to be teaching a parrot behavior and training workshop in Dallas, Texas. You can go to bird-haven.org for more info. And then on March 28th, I'll be in Old Saybrook, Connecticut at the Flight Training Seminar um, hosted by Featherlust Farm Bird Store. And you can visit their website at featherlustfarm.com. And then April 18th and 19th, I'll be in Barrie, Ontario, Canada with, with Dr. Susan Friedman teaching a parrot behavior and training workshop. The website is parrotworkshops.org. And then May takes me to Europe. Um, May 9th uh, and 10th, I'll be in Finland. And then May 16th and 17th, I will be in France. And then May 23rd, I'll be in Portugal. And you can find more information about those um, and the links to the websites for those folks at goodbirdinc.com. Just click on calendar. And then May 29th and 31st, Barb and I will both be at the Best Parrot Conference in Edison, New Jersey. Best being behavior enrichment science and training. You can go to bestparrotconference.com to sign up, um, to register there, or just get information. Um, and then October 24th for the 31st, this is actually my fall vacation, okay. I'll be on the Parrot Lovers Cruise. Um, I'll be speaking, um, and you can go to baldmantravel.com for more information. Um, my enrichment tip of the week, seeing all these new vendors at a Parrot Festival was really inspiring for me, and it made me think about the fact that you do need to change up the toys um, that you give your birds. You know, you get into that, this is his favorite toy, and I'm going to give it to him all the time. But you need to just change those up, switch them out, um, and that's providing good enrichment. And my training tip of the week is to remember that the principles of behavior analysis and positive reinforcement training apply to all animals. And that's certainly the lesson learned when I do my zoo consulting, that the experiences I have when I work with a zoo are really um, the same things that, that we're doing when we work with our parrots as well. Now, this week we're going to have a podcast question. Some of people may know that if you go to goodbirdinc.com, you can submit a question that, that Robin and I will do our best to try and answer in the podcast, and the winner gets a free digital download of Good Bird Magazine. And this week there's a question from Colleen, and Colleen asks, How much love is too much? This is regarding a newly acquired, rehomed five-year-old son conure. It's been about two weeks and a lot of time and patience since we acquired Goose. I've spent extra time training since my husband is unexperienced with birds. As a result, Goose is now quite in love with me, almost disturbingly so. He's obsessive about cuddling, head-bobbing, and regurgitating, slowly dancing and stroking in my arms with his or her feathers, because I guess she doesn't know if it's a boy or girl. While flattering, I have, con- I have concern regarding the emotional health of this little munchkin. How much of this should be dis- discouraged, and how? How much healthier would a second companion be somewhere down the way? 
How do you make a bird not like you quite so much? So all really good questions, and it really makes me think about the situation I described with the raven. Um, one of the challenges with parrots is that sometimes um, we, when we do things like, like uh, you know, cuddling and head bobbing and allow them to regurgitate on us, we're basically reinforcing those behaviors, and so those behaviors become stronger and stronger, and parrots will be inclined to do more of that courtship-type behavior. So what I really recommend is trying to reinforce any other behavior you can, anything other than sexual or courtship behavior when you're interacting with your parrot. And now to get the bird comfortable with other people, just like I talked about with the raven, the goal will be to create uh, circumstances in which other people can be the provider of positive reinforcers for that bird. So that may mean that they're the that they're the ones that deliver treats and attention, or well, not necessarily attention if the bird doesn't like it, but maybe treats or enrichment items. Um, and also, if the bird knows any behaviors on cue, they can cue the bird for those behaviors and offer them reinforcers for that. So it takes a little work between the, the people in the household so that we kind of back off on the courtship and the sexual behaviors and make more positive experiences for the other people in the house. Um, I do have an article in the fall issue of Good Bird Magazine, so fall of 2008. There's an article called When um, Your Parrot Loves You Too Much, and I have a feeling that's the article or that's the issue I'll send to Colleen here for submitting her question because I think that'll help her out a lot. Um, as far as adding another companion, the problem is is that it, the bird may not respond to another bird, so um, it may not address the situation that she wants. The bird may still be looking for her for reinforcers because of that experience. So, so I wouldn't say that adding a second bird is necessarily going to make that much of a difference in this case, but definitely backing off on reinforcing the courtship behaviors and reinforcing everything else. So that's that differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors is the way to go. So great question. And if you have your, if you have a question you want to ask, go to goodbirdinc.com and you could submit it at podcast. Um, you'll see the podcast question thing right there on the homepage. So with that, I think we're out of time. I think we are. If uh, you have suggestions or questions, you can contact us at robin at petliferadio.com or barbara at petliferadio.com. And if you would like transcripts of the show, please visit www.petliferadio.com. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Join us every week on Wings and Things and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things, only on PetLifeRadio.com.